Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to take some time this morning to pray for all these prayer requests, Lord. All these individuals that submitted, Lord God, their request to you. And I know, Lord God, that there are others in the building here this morning that are in need of something in their lives. And I know that there's some out there that are viewing us online. And they too, Lord God, are in need of certain things and issues and certain situations. We all need you every single day, Lord God. We thank you for the gift of life. But Father, in life we have many challenges and many obstacles, and so we cry out to you, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you, Lord God, to intervene and to show yourself strong on behalf of your people and on behalf of your church. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. This is a very familiar uh, verse of Scripture for many of us who are Christians or that have been in the kingdom for any length of time. We quote it quite often, but I wanted to share some thoughts on it here this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Let's pray. And let's, let's just go ahead and read it since we already prayed. It says this, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Church, is our God good or what? Can you say amen? I mean, this is a really encouraging and powerful verse of Scripture that God gives us here. Now, this verse of Scripture, every time I read it, it always reminds me of our brother Mike Macias Sr. And the reason why it does is because I always remember when he came in to speak to our young people about their careers, about their future. And he was using his life as an example of how when he was young, uh, he put his trust in the Lord. He, uh, he committed his life to the Lord and he asked God to help him. And you know what? God helped him to become an engineer. Not only did he become an engineer, but he became a professor of engineering at Cal State Northridge. And he gave all the glory and all the credit to God who brought him from very humble beginnings. But he worked hard. He cried out to God. He committed himself to God. And he took the scripture to heart. And he believed that God had good plans for him. And he always encourages our young people to put their faith in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, and that he, God, will make sure to bless them with a good future and life. But in this section of scripture, in Jeremiah 29, 11, Usually and normally we apply it to the children of God or to Christians or to Israel or to the people of God. But I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to kind of expand it just a little bit to include everyone, those who believe and even those who don't believe. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 tells us three things that our Lord desires for all of mankind, not just for believers. Yes, for believers, but I believe even for all mankind not just for those who belong to him. Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about three things. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. That's one thing that God desires for all of us. To give you a future, that's two things, and a hope. Now, the first thing that our Lord desires for all of us is peace and not 
evil. How many of you are glad about that? Can you say amen? I mean, so many of us were so paranoid because we think as soon as we make a mistake, God is up there ready to punish us and to tear us down and to condemn us. But no, the Bible says that all he wants is peace and not evil for us. God desires for all mankind to have peace, peace with God and peace with man. Now, to begin, I'd like for us to look at some Old Testament scriptures. It says in the book of Numbers, these are all found in Numbers chapter 7, verse 17. These are Old Testament scriptures, okay? And it talks about the peace offerings that were offered by the God's people. It says this in Numbers chapter 7, verse 17. It's going to be a little redundant, but just be patient with me. In verse 17, it says this. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. Numbers chapter 7, verse 23, it says practically the same thing. And as the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nethanel, the son of Zuar. Numbers chapter 7, verse 29. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helan. Numbers chapter 7, verse 35. And as the sacrifices of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eleazar, the son of Shadir. These same instructions are repeated over and over again in verse 47, verse 41, verse 53, verse 59, verse 65, verse 71, verse 77, and verse 83. In the Old Testament, time and time again, you have the people of Israel sacrificing the peace offering. Why? They were looking for and seeking for peace with God and it required the blood sacrifice of animals. Church, aren't you glad that today, in order for you and I to have peace with God, we don't have to sacrifice lambs and goats and animals every single day. We can have peace with God right now if you choose to. You see, man needs to be at peace with God. And God desires to be at peace with man. A little over a month ago, we celebrated Christmas. And one of the greatest messages of Christmas is declared by the angels that appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. It says this. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, all people. For there is born to you this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill Toward men. God sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save us. Again, how many of you can shout hallelujah because of that? Can you say amen? He has the right to destroy us, but no, he sent his son to save us. In verse 14, God desires peace and goodwill toward men, all of mankind. 
peace and goodwill, peace and not evil. The good news is that man needs to be at peace with God. Even when we are in our sin or rebellion or pride or stubbornness, we are restless because we are not at peace with God. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, if you are not right with God, you are not at peace within yourself. If you, if, if you remember before you were a Christian, no matter what was going on, there was something in you that was not right. But now it's even worse. As believers, if we try to live our lives in rebellion or in sin, there's no way that the Holy Spirit is going to leave us alone until we get right with God. We're all searching for that peace. The good news is that man needs to be at peace with God. Even when we are in our sin or rebellion or pride or stubbornness, we are restless because we are not at peace with him. But church, there's people all over the world, sinners and unbelievers and believers, people all over the world are seeking after peace. They have anxiety. They have loneliness. They have stress. They have fear. They have worry. They have depression. They have anger. They have insecurities. They have all kinds of emotional pains and hurts. Uh, some people right now are struggling to pay their rent and struggling to pay their mortgage or their car payments or their utilities. Some people are str- uh, struggling to even put food on the table. All of this is causing stress and people are looking for peace can you say amen church everyone is searching for peace now if you're not connected to god if you are not saved and forgiven and on your way to heaven then you basically are on your own and sadly you are considered to be an enemy of god you are not at peace with god you are actually at war with God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 says this, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. You see, the Bible says that people without Jesus, people without the blood of the cross are enemies of God and the end is destruction. The end is eternal hell. This should stress you out. If you're not stressed out already because of life and all of its problems, this itself should stress you out. This reality of having to face eternity in hell without Jesus is is more stressful than not paying your mortgage or your car payment or your health or anything else. That should be your main and primary concern right now. But God wants peace and not evil. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to live a life of destruction. He wants you to be at peace. He wants peace and not evil. Again, how many of you thank the Lord for how good he is? Can you say amen, church? Listen to what Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, by Jesus Christ, to reconcile, we're going to look at that word in just a little bit, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ is our eternal peace offering between God and Man, what does this word reconcile mean in verse 20? The definition of reconcile is this, 
to restore to friendship or harmony. To restore to friendship or harmony. How many of you want to be friends with God and not enemies with God? Amen? It also means to settle or resolve differences. This leads us to the most important aspect of who Jesus Christ is. Not only who he is, but what Jesus Christ has done for all mankind. Without Jesus Christ, man cannot be reconciled with God. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, man cannot be brought back into right relationship with God. Without Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross, there can be no friendship or harmony with God. Without Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross, the sin of man cannot be settled or resolved or forgiven or removed or dismissed. Verse 20 tells us that without Christ we are not at peace with God but we are at war with God some of you may be saying to yourself I don't I don't read that I don't see that what what are you where are you getting that from well let's read what it says in Colossians 1:20 again and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross you see without Jesus and the blood of his cross, we have no peace with God, and sadly, that means we are at war with God. But guess what, church? Through the blood of Jesus, through the blood of his cross, we can have peace with God. Colossians 1.21 says this, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled or brought back into right relationship verse 21 tells us that without jesus we are alienated without jesus we are enemies without jesus our works are wicked even the things that we do that we thought are good are considered wicked because they were works without jesus and the blood of the cross so here's what we know without jesus we are at war with God. Without Jesus, we are alienated from God. Without Jesus, we are the enemies of God. Without Jesus, all of our works are wicked, even our good works. Man, when we talk about all this, I don't know about you, and I've said this before, but it sounds like before we became Christians, before we knew Jesus, we were monsters. Can you say amen? And even if you don't agree, I'm still going to say amen. You were a monster. You were out of control. We were beasts. All the guys, as I've said before, all you guys, we were el cucuy in living color. All you ladies, you were la llorona in living color. That means that we were zombies. We were the Medusa. We were the, in the land of the living dead. We didn't even need a movie. We were the movie. We were a mess. Now, I believe that all of us would agree that people without God are at war with God. What is the evidence? What evidence do we have about this? All you have to do is turn on the news and we can see that mankind is at war with God. Let's look at our own country, our own nation, the United States of America. This is a list that I've referred to often that I've, that I've made or created describing how our nation has gone from a God-fearing nation to becoming a godless nation? Let me go through this list. In 1962, Madeleine O'Hare sued the Baltimore public school system and prayer was banned in all our nation's public schools. Why? Because we're at war with God. We don't want him in our schools anymore. 
1963, the Holy Bible was banned from being used in any way in our school, nation's public school systems. Why? Because we declared war on God. After the Bible was taken out of our nation's public school system in the early 1960s, the theory of evolution was soon taught in our public school systems, which further distanced our children from the teachings of the Bible and our belief that God created the heavens and the earth. No longer were our are, are, are children being taught that we are made in the image of God? No longer are they taught that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. No longer are they taught that we are fashioned by God to be unique and to be special with purpose and with goals and with destiny and with a plan and that there's room for salvation. No, today, because of evolution, we are mutations. We are accidents. We are evolving. We don't even belong here. In 1953, Hugh Hefner published the first Playboy magazine, and that began a tidal wave and flood of pornography into our nation that is protected by the First Amendment and free speech. In 1970, the no-fault divorce law was enacted in California and was nationalized in 1985. Since then, divorce in the United States has skyrocketed because we have made divorce very easy and convenient. In 1973, abortion was legalized through Roe versus Wade, and since then, millions of babies have been legally murdered in the United States and in January of 2019 we saw that the state of New York started to under uh, certain conditions and it was now legal to abort a child even up to the ninth month of pregnancy and right before birth and now they're going towards aborting babies even after they're born in 1980, the Ten Commandments were removed from all of our public schools. Why? Because we are at war with God. We are pushing God out. We are rejecting God. In 2004, the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors removed the cross from our Los Angeles County seal. In 2010, the Ten Commandments were removed from our courthouses. In 2013, the definition of marriage as being between one man and one woman was cha challenged in our United States Supreme Court. And on June 26, 2015, same-sex marriage became legal in all 50 states. In November of 2014, the transgender laws came into effect that allowed boys to go into girls' locker rooms and restrooms and girls to go into boys' locker rooms and restrooms. Our national debt is in the trillions, and it is really sad because when we were being blessed by God in the early 50s, even up until the 50s, we were lending to nations around the world, and today the nations around the world own us. Church, I don't know if you realize it or not, but little by little, year by year, Christianity in America and the church in America is being morphed and seduced and compromised and stripped of its authority and its voice and its influence. Listen, isn't it interesting that we outlaw our prayers in schools but then when there is a shooting that takes place in one of our schools or if there is some natural disaster or some kind of terrorist attack all of a sudden you have all the families all the teachers and what are they doing they're calling a prayer meeting in their classrooms they're calling on god why because deep down inside they know that they need god isn't it interesting that everyone wants to push God out of their lives? And then when terrible things happen, they wonder where God was or why God didn't protect or stop the terrible thing from happening. It is because we don't want God around to protect us and shield us from all of these horrible dangers that, are surround, that we are surrounded with. Our nation is so deceived right now. We want to reject God and his law and his Bible and his spirit and his presence. And yet when things go wrong, we cry out to him 
and we get angry with him because he is not around to protect us. We have got to make up our minds. Do we want God or do we want to reject God? We've got to make up our minds. The problem is, as I've said before, the problem is we do want God. We do want God. But we also want him to stay out of our business. We want God, but we want him to leave us alone. If things are going okay, we don't want anything to do with God. Yes, we want God, but we want to do our own thing. We want to run our own program. We want to define what is right and wrong for ourselves. We don't want God or the Bible or some preacher to dictate to us how to live our lives. Yes, we want God, but we also want him to stay out of our business when it comes to sin. We don't want to hear what the Bible says about sin. We don't want to hear what the preacher is telling us about sin. We don't want the church telling us about sin or about how wicked we are or about how messed up we are or about how rebellious we are or about how stubborn and prideful we are. Even in the church, all we want to hear is nice, beautiful, how, how, how wonderful we are. No, no, no. We're messed up. Without Jesus, we are lost and on our way to hell. We need Jesus to have peace in our lives, church. We want to turn off the volume to truth, to light that comes from the Word of God. But when things go wrong, all of a sudden, we understand how weak and how vulnerable we all really are. All these people that think they're all macho and they got it all together and they have plenty of money or whatever it is that they got going on for them. Man, when things start going wrong, they're going to start collapsing with fear and anxiety and they want to hide under a rock. And how much we realize how much we need God, just like this pandemic that the whole world is dealing with right now. We as a human race can be wiped out by a simple virus. We don't need atom bombs. We don't need all kinds of military and all kinds of weapons. No, a simple virus can wipe out the whole human race. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, sin condemns any people. The Bible tells us that without Jesus Christ and the shed blood of the cross, we are at war with God. We are enemies of God. All of our works are wicked before God. We are alienated from God. Let's read Colossians 1.21 again. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. What does this word alienated mean it means to make unfriendly or hostile or indifferent especially where attachment formerly existed where attachment formerly existed where attachment formerly existed do you know that at one time man and god were at peace with each other they were in harmony with each other. They were in fellowship with each other. They were in right relationship with each other. We see this 
in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, in the very beginning of time, when God first created man and woman, in the very beginning of time, man was not alienated from God. Man had right relationship and fellowship with God. Listen to what it says here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Isn't that interesting, church? From dust we came, and to dust we shall return. So next time you look at yourself and you think you're all that, you read the scripture and you remind yourself, dude, you're nothing but dust. And the only reason you're alive is because God has put his breath of life in you. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. How crazy is it that you and I or any man or woman can think that they're greater or more powerful than God? Let me read it again. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. In verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We see here that in the beginning, God and man were at peace with each other. They were in right relationship with each other. They had fellowship with each other. But sadly, sadly, we all know that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were now alienated from God's sin and rebellion and disobedience separated them from fellowship with God. Their sin and disobedience took away that fellowship and they became alienated. Mankind has been alienated or separated from God ever since. It is a broken relationship. But God says, I want to repair that relationship. In Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 and 9, it talks about how God responded to their disobedience. In Genesis 3, 8 and 9, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Man had fellowship with our Creator God. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? You see, as soon as that sin entered the world, there was alienation, separation between God and man. 
And as I said before, mankind has been alienated from God ever since. And the only way to remove that alienation is through Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross. But church, I have some good news for you here today. For those of you that are watching, for those of you that are listening right now present in the sanctuary, in spite of all our wickedness, in spite of all of our rebellion, in spite of all of our sin and rejection of God, in spite of the reality that we are enemies of God without Jesus, Jesus, what is it that God desires according to Jeremiah 29 11? For I know the thoughts I think toward you. Aren't you glad that he doesn't see that wickedness? He doesn't see that evil. He doesn't see all that craziness. If you're ready to come to him, all he sees is the blood of Jesus. That's all God sees. But without the blood of Jesus, we stand condemned. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God desires peace and not evil. Peace and goodwill toward man. God is offering you peace in and through Jesus Christ. For those of us who are Christians, we have already made our peace with God. Those of you that are born again, those of you that are in Christ, how many of you thank God for that day that you received Jesus into your heart? Can you say amen? You've made your peace with God. You're on your way to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. And right now, God is offering peace to everyone. Now listen, you may be listening online or you may be present here in church right now. And you may think, hey, you know what? My life is going good without God. I'm fine without God. I don't really need God. It's not really going to make a difference in my life. I want to say this, even though somebody, some of you may get offended. Is it possible to live this life without God? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's millions of people right now living their lives. They don't worship God. They don't believe in God. They don't go to church. They don't believe the Bible. They don't care about God. They go care, they're doing their own thing. They're living their lives without God. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? And they could care less about what I have to say or about what the Bible says or about why we're here in church. And you know what? They're doing okay. It is possible to live this life on this earth without God. But you know what? One of these days, we're all going to die. And it is impossible to go to heaven without Jesus. You can live your life without God on this earth if you want, if you think you can handle it. But when you die, you will not go to heaven without Jesus. The Bible says you are headed for destruction. You are headed for hell. God doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent his son. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he gave his blood and shed his blood on the cross. So that through him, you can have peace. Peace right now and peace for all eternity. And you can be a child of God. And you can inherit eternal life in heaven with God because of Jesus. But if you reject him, yes, you can survive and you can live this life. But you will not go to heaven. God doesn't want to be at war with you. He wants peace. He's offering you peace. In and through Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
We pray right now, God, that you will speak to those that are listening right now. Whether we are believers or unbelievers. But especially for the unbeliever. But right now, Lord God, I want to speak to those of us who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a believer. And you are in any way, shape, or form compromising or involved with anything that is controversial. God is offering you peace through repentance. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you could just do your own thing and work your own program as a child of God. No. God says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. For those of you that are listening and you are not a Christian, you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity right now to make your peace with God. Yes, it's true. There are many people right now that are anxious, that are stressed out, that are worried, that are concerned. They're, they're dealing with health issues and financial issues and relational issues. And if you're looking for peace, God is offering you peace right now in the midst of everything that you're going through. And then there are others of you that everything's going fine. Everything is going good. You don't really need God or you're not really searching for God. But I want you to know God is searching you out. He is seeking you out. And he wants to establish relationship with you. He does not want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. So if you're listening to me right now and you say, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. I want to experience that peace with God that is offered to us in and only through Jesus Christ. If that's you and you want to receive that peace, just say this prayer of repentance with me. Just repeat these words. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you and I surrender. I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I surrender. I want there to be a peace treaty between me and you, God. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I accept his blood that was shed on the cross for me. Forgive me, Lord, and give me the gift of eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give glory to God here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to go ahead and prepare for communion at this time. And the communion service is actually for those who are children of God. God is very specific about this. So we want to pro provide this opportunity for those of you who are Christians to receive communion here this morning. If you are not a Christian, hopefully you said this prayer a little while ago with me. You've repented of your sins. And if you did do that, then you are now a child of God. You were on your way to hell, but now you're on your way to heaven. That's the good news. And the Bible says you have the right to approach this table. And so we want to invite you to the table of God here this morning. Before we do that, let me go ahead and read some scriptures. And so this is the time now that we as Christians 
have to take time to examine ourselves and our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you are glad that Jesus gave up his body for you and me? Amen? For all of us. Then it says here in verse 25, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He's coming back, church. He's coming back for us. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So you who are Christians here this morning, this is a time where we have to examine ourselves. We have to get things right between us and our God before we come to this table. So let's go ahead and take some time right now and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, each and every one of us. And if there's anything going on there that you know God is not pleased with, let's confess it before the Lord. He doesn't want to be at war with us. He wants peace. He's offering you peace. And true peace comes in knowing that we are right with God. Let's take some time to examine our hearts right now. Father, as we prepare ourselves to approach this table, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the blood that was shed on that cross that made it possible for us to participate in this communion service here this morning. Thank you for the blood of the cross that brought peace between you, God, and ourselves. Thank you for the blood of the cross that provides all the benefits to us that are found in the Bible. Thank you for the blood of the cross, Lord Jesus, that you shed so that we might be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life and the promise of heaven one day. Lord Jesus, while we're on this earth, we pray that you will help us to live our lives in a way that honors you, that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and start with the center section right here, please. 
Go ahead and make your way up, please. And uh, just take of the cup and take of the bread. And then go back to your seats and we'll all participate together, okay? Keep it in your hands. Don't, don't eat of it or drink of it yet. Just take it with you to your seats. And then we'll all take it together. <laughs> 